Oh boy, how are you all doing today? This is New Year's Eve, they say. I think of New Year's Eve, I think of tonight, not this morning. If it hadn't been for Jeremy Broom last week, I'd have surely got in trouble because uh, I was thinking of tonight when I said New Year's Eve, but today is New Year's Eve to a lot of folks. We're glad you're here today. I hope the things we discuss will be of some value to you. We have uh, several people on our prayer list who are sick. Some are very sick. Uh, would you pray with me for a moment, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day and for all of our blessings. Lord, we're mindful of those, especially of our number, who are ill. We pray for our brother Roy Young. We want to pray for Raymond and for Pam. We want to pray for our brother Burton, Jim's brother-in-law, those who we've named here, those who may be home and sick. We, we desire very much, Father, that you would bless the means being used to restore them to their health, that they could return to their respective lives and live on. We pray in part because of our love for them. We pray somewhat selfishly because of what they mean to us here in this congregation. We ask that your will be done and not ours because we know that you know much better than we do what's good. For these favors and blessings, we ask in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Brother Roy, he's uh, not doing good. He's at home, but he's got pneumonia, and uh, it's taken a, quite a toll on him. We want to be sure to keep him uh, in our mind. Oh, before we go any further, uh, I'll forget at the end. Uh, tonight is the night a lot of people will be drinking and driving. Be careful, careful, careful when you drive today because we want everybody to be healthy tomorrow. So always be careful, especially on uh, at times like these because uh, it seems like someone always gets hurt and it's, it's just awful. Anyway, this is, uh, of course, New Year's Eve. I watched New Year's come in in uh, Sydney, Australia this morning at 6 o'clock. Uh, so I'm actually already in 2024. You all got to catch up with me. I'm living in the future. But uh, tomorrow we begin uh, a new year, even though it's just one day away. Uh, we do begin a new calendar year. I hope you all have a great year. Uh, I hope we have a great year. I hope we grow prosper, especially in, uh, in Christ, because uh, that's the greatest profit of all. Sermon on the Mount, chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I got one last thing I want to say, then I'll shut up. Uh, we're starting a new class Wednesday. Uh, Chris Mayberry will be the teacher, and it's on the book of Daniel. If you like to study prophecy, this would be a good class to go to. Uh, it's a, Daniel's a very prophetic book. Uh, uh, Chris has taught me a lot through the years about Daniel. Uh, he's focused on the prophecies a lot through the years, so uh, 
I know it'll be a, a very interesting class if anybody's interested in prophecy. Uh, this is lesson four in our series. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the sad. That's what I told you last week. Happy are the sad, basically, is what our Lord is saying. Paradoxical statement. Many of his statements were paradoxical. Pain and suffering should be avoided at all costs. This is basically, I think, what most of us think. Uh, always avoid pain and suffering. Well, that's not really feasible. Uh, if you get married, you open yourself up to the potential for pain and suffering. If nothing else ever goes wrong in your life, your spouse may die or you may die, there's going to be a lot of sadness eventually. If you have children, you open yourself up to potential pain and suffering. God forbid something happened to one of our children and turned your life upside down. I've seen people that's had to go through it, and it's awful beyond belief. Trying to avoid pain and suffering at all costs, to a degree, yeah, but let's be reasonable. Pain and suffering is something we can't skirt around. We're going to deal with it. As long as we're in the world, there's the potential for pain and suffering in so many ways, uh, and it, it's not really something we're going to avoid. But uh, when we talk about being happy in our suffering, that's something that Jesus would say, but it's quite, it's hard to understand. He made a lot of statements like that in Luke 6, 25. Woe to you who laugh now. Why? For you shall mourn and weep. It's inevitable, inevitable part of our life. We got to deal with tragedy. People mourn for a lot of different reasons. Some are legitimate. I'm going to call these proper mourning. Some mourning, though, is illegitimate. Sometimes it can make us angry when people mourn in this manner. And sometimes it just seems like overkill when people carry mourning too far where it becomes harmful. Improper mourning. First case, mourning resulting from the failure of evil plans and or objectives. Sometimes we plan to do something that may not be right. It doesn't come through, and we are saddened by it. Second Samuel 13, verse 2, Amnon, he was the son of David, king of Israel. He was distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick. He was so distressed that he became sick. And you think, well, it's his sister. He's probably worried about her. Maybe she's sick. Maybe, you know, something's wrong in her life. She's having problems, and it's worrying her brother Amnon. And he's just tore up about his sister's dilemma. Well, that would be nice if that were the case, but that wasn't the case. Amnon was sick because his sister was a virgin. And he had to stay away from her. And he didn't want to. And he wanted her so badly. He wanted to commit fornication. He wanted her so badly that he became sick. Well, that's what we would call improper mourning. He shouldn't be mourning over that because that shouldn't have existed in the first place. 
So his mourning is not something we could sympathize with. Legitimate mourning sometimes can be carried to the extreme where it's no longer legitimate. King of Israel, David, was told in, make it short, your son is dead. He's talking about Absalom. Absalom was dead, and they told the king. They, they had been at war, and during the process of the war, this boy Absalom was killed, and now a messenger has come and told David. And David is tore up inside out. In 2 Samuel 18.33, the king was deeply moved. He went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus. Notice as he went, David was sitting down by the gate. A messenger came, he told him his son was dead. And from that moment forward, David had to climb the stairs in public view and go into an upper chamber. And as he did... He wept, and all the people around heard him. They were there to cheer because of their great victory. But their king was mourning over the death of his son. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, the Israelites were put to shame because of the king's behavior. They felt like they had done something wrong, and they had done nothing wrong. Joab came into the house where the king was, and he said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life. You see, Absalom was trying to kill David, and his army killed Absalom first. They wanted to destroy the lives of your sons and your daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines. What had happened was a good thing. And David said, I would rather be dead than to have my son Absalom dead. You love your enemies, Joab continued, and you hate your friends. You have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died, then it would have pleased you well. Nothing wrong with David mourning, but not like he mourned. He was out of line. He shamed his army. He made his people think they had done something wrong. And if it hadn't been for them, there would have been no King David left. There is such a thing as legitimate mourning that's carried to the extreme. Sometimes people carry mourning so long that it interferes with their lives and the lives of other people. We all mourn. We mourn differently. Sometimes we mourn excessively. But we've got to learn to get a grip on ourselves because it's not just us, there's other people. A father mourns too much and his children are neglected. A mother mourns too much and those who are around her suffer because of it. 
We mourn. That's good. But we have to get a grip on ourselves. Otherwise, our mourning can become a problem. There's such a thing as proper mourning, and this, of course, is what we're most interested in. Proper mourning can be very natural. Most of the time it is. Mourning because of personal sin. Second Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He mourned because he sinned. And we do. We all do. When we commit sin, we feel so bad about it. We wish we hadn't done it. We're embarrassed. We're ashamed. Those who've seen us, we're, we're embarrassed in front of them. And, and we, we know we violated the Lord's trust, and, and we, it bothers us. And we pray to God to forgive us, and we have a difficult time trying to forgive ourselves. It's natural to mourn when we commit sin because sin is the enemy of Christ and his citizens of his kingdom. Abraham mourned for Sarah, his wife, when she died. It's natural. Been married to her for over 100 years. I reckon he had to mourn. It's like cutting off your right and left arm and both legs. The woman that had been with him all that time suddenly gone and he mourned. How could he do anything else? The psalmist mourned. He was lonely for God. He felt like he was by himself. As the deer pants for the water brooks, oh, my soul pants for thee, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why didn't God help him? Why wasn't God with him? So many questions went through the mind of the king. And he missed God and his presence. And he wanted to see God so badly. He could taste it. Defeat, discouragement, grieved Timothy. And I can understand that too. Whenever we blow something and we mess it up, it'll, it'll discourage you. I don't want to try that again. I remember the first time I tried to preach. I don't know how many times it took before I actually got out of my seat and stood up in a pulpit. I got up and preached a sermon. It lasted, I think it was, I can't remember, I think it was eight minutes. I read it word for word off, I don't know how many pages. Next time I preached that same sermon, it took me five weeks to preach it. First time I preached it, I preached it, I think it was eight minutes. And every time I wouldn't get out of my seat and stand up, Kenneth Anderson had to fill in for me. And I felt so bad, I felt so bad that I was such a carrot. Defeat was busting me good. That's the way Timothy felt. Defeat, discouragement, one step forward, two steps back. Paul said, I remember your tears falling down your face. Jeremiah mourned Jerusalem's coming destruction. Oh, that my head were waters, my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He knew what was coming. God told him Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. Those who survived, 50,000 and all, would be carried away into Babylon. Jeremiah knew it. God told him. He tried to tell the people, but they wouldn't listen. They fought him every step of the way. And even though they fought him, even though they were hard-headed and wouldn't listen to what he had to say, 
Jeremiah cried day and night for his people because he loved them so. And there was nothing he could do to help them. Very natural. There is proper mourning. Very natural in its place. Proper mourning is good for the soul. One thing that's bad is when we don't mourn properly. That can be harmful to our health. Express sorrow and crying opens an escape valve that keeps feelings from festering inside us. These are feelings that could poison our emotions and eventually destroy our soul. When we hold stuff in, we allow it to build up. It can become a poison in our soul. We change. We become bitter. We might be short-tempered. We might be angry. When we house these bitter feelings inside of us, there is the potential that they will grow and they will explode and will become what we never wanted to be. The tears that we cry, they remind me of a, when, we got, when we got a cut in the flesh, what's the first thing you do? You take water and you wash away the dirt that's inside the cut. Well, that's what tears do. As the tears fall from our face, it releases a pressure valve inside of us. And it keeps the pain from growing and making us become ugly. It's good to mourn. It's good. It's good for the soul. Don't hold it back. Let her go. And be all you can be. Much mourning is natural. It is right. It is to be expected. And if it didn't happen, we'd be concerned about the person. But this isn't what our Lord was talking about when he said, blessed are those who mourn. None of that's what he had in mind. Well, that raises the question, what in the world was he talking about then? Well, let's talk about that. You want to be sure to remember that before Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember who the poor in spirit are. These are those who are destitute in spirit. They, have nothing. they realize they have nothing. They realize they're doomed for eternal death. They realize there's nothing they can do about it. Imagine the thought coming into your head for the very first time when you hear the preacher preach. I'm going to go to hell. And I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know what I can do to make it right. I don't have enough money. I don't know any good works. What can I do? It's, it's, it's being on death row and realizing I'm standing on death row and all that waits me is torment. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because the poor in spirit are now in a position to mourn. Now, keep in mind, please, that this is number one and number two in Jesus' list of virtues. 
The first thing, we've got to come to grips with the fact that we are poor in spirit. The second is to mourn over our state, which is kind of natural when you realize you're poor in spirit. Why, these shall be comforted, he said. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. <clears throat> I've had, uh, and you have too, I've had a lot of surgeries in my life. And uh, sometimes I've had to chew on the pillow for two or three days. Uh, and then finally, uh, the pain eases up. Regardless of how bad pain may be, there's one thing I've always counted on. Number one, it's only going to last so long. And number two, if I die, I wake up with God. Okay? There's hope. No matter what. No matter what I've ever had to face in my life, I've always had a hope of something better to come. Better than what I had waiting on the other side of the veil. And that's what Solomon is saying. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness. There's a great day coming. There's a better day coming. And as long as we have that to hold on to, no matter what we face, our spirit will sustain us. But who can bear a broken spirit? That's a state of hopelessness. Whether we know it or not, we were all poor in spirit. Whether we recognized it or not, we were all poor in spirit. Destitute, totally dependent on Jesus Christ to save us from our plight. We still are today. Well, we're not poor in spirit, but we are still totally dependent on the grace of God. Every day we live, every step we take, every vision we entertain, we do so by the grace of God. If God is willing, we'll see tomorrow. And if God is not willing, we won't. Everything we have, everything we are, everything we hope to be depends on divine grace. And as long as I have divine grace walking with me, there's nothing that I can face that can beat me down because I know the best is yet to come. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said. Everybody's poor in spirit. Some people don't recognize it. Very few do. Jesus said, happy are those people. They're in a position now to do something about it. Mourning in the church at Corinth did exist. I'm going to read from the NASB. I don't recommend this Bible to anybody, but I I can read the Greek text. I know that this is a good paraphrase of the text I want to present to you. I don't recommend 
the new American Standard Bible. Please don't take this as a commendation. I just like the language. Uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 11, Though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. There was a man there who had his father's wife. And he mentioned that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He was very upset by it. And he got on to the Corinthians because they allowed this situation to exist in the church. And he said, now, I know I caused you sorrow when I wrote this letter. I do not regret it. At this point in our life, I do not regret that I wrote that letter, though I did regret it. When I wrote the letter, I knew it was going to cause you to much sorrow, and I regretted being the one that's going to cause you much sorrow. But since you've got the letter, since you read the letter, since you've had sorrow because of it, you've changed your ways, and now I no longer regret what I said to you. He'll explain that. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. They were made sorrowful, they repented, they remedied the situation, and their sorrow was dissipated. I now rejoice on this side of the problem. I now rejoice, not, not that you were made sorrowful, that doesn't give me any pleasure at all, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. The King James book says leading to repentance, the same thing. Your sorrow brought you to repent, and that's why I'm not sorrowful. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. The King James book says a godly sorrow. That's what's meant, okay? This was the divine will that we would experience a godly sorrow, and this is what Paul is alluding to so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. You were made aware of your sin. You sorrowed over your condition and the fact that you let the Lord and Paul down. You repented. You rectified the situation. And now everything is better. Why? You did what the Lord wanted you to do. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God... Sorrow, in this case, no, it's a manufacturer. Think of it as a manufacturer. What does a manufacturer do? A manufacturer produces a, a, a product, okay? Your sorrow, this manufacturing company, sorrow, produced a product. Well, what was the product? The product was repentance. It produced repentance in you. And it's a, a repentance that you do not have to regret. You're forgiven. It's done away with. And now all is well. It led to salvation. That's what made all things well. They had a sin. They had acknowledgement. They had a sorrow. They had repentance. They had a rectification of the situation, and now, which led to their salvation, and now they're no longer 
sorrowful. In the state they were in, their salvation was not secure. Now that they've rectified the situation, repenting of their sin and changing it, now it led them back into salvation. They were in danger of losing their souls, and now they've recaptured their souls. How was that made possible? It was through their mourning, their sorrow. Jesus said, happy are the sad. The Corinthians <clears throat> were led to salvation, and they were happy. And they were now happy because they were made sad. The sorrow, which is according to the will of God, produced a product we'll call repentance, which led to their salvation. Happy are the sad. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Happy are those people who realize that they're poor in spirit. They realize they're absolutely destitute. There's nothing they can do to help themselves. Who have come to realize and believe that in Christ, divine grace can be accessed. And by grace, they can be saved. And they acted on that. Everyone is poor in spirit. Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is eternal death. We briefly mentioned that, I think, in hell this morning. When I first believed, I thought of myself as being on death row. <clears throat> and I think of that all the time since. Being on death row, hoping, wishing for pardon. And pardon was offered by God through the blood of his son. I didn't know a lot. I didn't know that much. And I seized it. And I became a saved person. Most people, though they realize they're poor in spirit, they won't mourn. Or they can't mourn. They've lost the ability. Sometimes people say no to Christ so many times that it becomes very easy to say no. I remember back years ago at Free Will, there was a man there, an old man, and this is no joke. I seen him hold the bench in front of him and his knuckles get white. 
and you could see tears coming down his face. He knew he was lost. He knew there was a way out. He grieved his condition. But he would not repent. Week after week after week, I watched that. Then after several years, he finally turned loose and he obeyed the gospel. Have you turned loose and obeyed the gospel? Has your mama turned loose? Or your daddy? What about a brother or sister? What about a son or daughter? Or what about a friend? I think we all know someone who hasn't turned loose yet. Without being a pest, we ought to try to give people a little nudge. Without being a pest, my mama used to tell me to shut up. I baptized uh, both of my kids, I baptized both of my parents, and I baptized my siblings. <laughs> I was fortunate. I got to teach uh, a lot of people in my family, everybody except for Sandy, actually, Sandy Haney. She was a Christian before I was. But what are we doing today? It is the will of God that we know we've sinned, we know we're destitute, we mourn our condition, and that we repent of our sins and obey God's divine will. If we will do that, we can have salvation. We can live forever in ecstasy. We're going to live the best life. We're going to live a life we've never even dreamed of yet. Let us all resolve in our hearts to be the best child of God that we can be to be the best son or daughter, mother, father, brother, sister, friend. Let's resolve this year to bring someone to Christ. You know what they need to do. Now what will you do?